Welcome back to another episode of the Hemingway List for War and Peace, Book 12, Chapter 8. Sonia has developed quite the plan to end up with Nikolai. What do you think of it? Will it be successful? Sonia seems to give herself to everyone throughout the novel. Is she being selfish here? Is she being honest? Do you justify her actions? Kara Kikar says, I think Sonia's plan is a long shot. Knowing she wrote the letter not thinking it would ever need to be honoured seems tragic to me. I don't know if she ever really had a chance at happiness. Ripster 66 says, Sonia seems more aware of her place in life than most other characters in this book. She will, she has willingly sacrificed a lot in order to be worthy of Nicholas. To have that one goal taken from her seems especially cruel. I really enjoy the insight into Sonia in this chapter. It does seem uh, cruel. On the other hand, though, I kind of feel like she is comparatively a very lucky person. You know, she is like the niece of royalty. She's set for life as long as her family is set for life. Sure, she has a place in that family, and it's a bit down the pecking order, but, you know, she has servants. It's not that bad. Uh, I really like Sonia though, and I do feel really bad for her, probably the most in the book, because she's just so stuck. She's so stuck. Four Lost Souls in a Bowl says, This isn't going to work out well at all, but I am absolutely on Sonia's side through all of this. The Countess treats her like family until it comes to her children by blood, and then she's only important in terms of what she can give. You don't get to adopt a child and then use them as you please. Very good point. When you say it like that, it sounds awful, actually. <clears throat> Alright. Quick one today. Here's chapter 9. Wait, are we up to chapter 9 already? Damn. Alright, here we go. The officer and soldiers who had arrested Pierre treated him with hostility, but yet with respect in the guardhouse to which he was taken. In their attitude toward him could still be felt both uncertainty as to who he might be, perhaps a very important person, and hostility as a result of their recent personal conflict with him. But when the guard was relieved next morning, Pierre felt that for the new guard, both officers and men, he was not as interesting and he had been as he had been to his captors. And in fact, the guard of the second day did not recognise in this big stout man, in a peasant coat, the vigorous person who had fought so desperately with the marauder, and the convoy and had uttered those solemn words about saving a child they saw in him only number 17 of the captured russians arrested and detained for some reason by order of the higher command if they noticed anything remarkable about pierre it was only his unabashed meditative concentration and thoughtfulness and that and the way he spoke french which struck them as surprisingly good in spite of this he was placed that day with the other arrested suspects as the separate room he had occupied was required by an officer. All the Russians confined with Pierre were men of the lowest class and recognising him as a gentleman, they all avoided him, more especially as he spoke French. Pierre felt sad at hearing them making fun of him. That evening he learned that all these prisoners, he probably among them, were to be tried for incendiarism. On the third day he was taken with the others to a house where a French general with a white moustache sat with two colonels and other Frenchmen with scarves on their arms, with the precision and definiteness customary in addressing prisoners and which is supposed to preclude human frailty, Pierre, like the others, was questioned as to who he was, where he had been, with what object, and so on. These questions, like questions put at trials generally, left the essence of the matter aside, 
shout out the possibility of that essence's being revealed and were designed only to form a channel through which the judges wished the answers of the accused to flow so as to lead to the desired result, namely a conviction. As soon as Pierre began to say anything that did not fit in with that aim, the channel was removed and the water could flow to waste. Pierre felt, moreover, what the accused always feel at their trial, perplexity as to why these questions were put to him. He had a feeling that it was only out of condescension or a kind of civility that this device of placing a channel was employed. He knew he was in the men's power, and that only by force had they brought him there, that force alone gave them the right to demand answers to their questions, and that the sole object of that assembly was to encapsulate him. And so, as they had the power and wished to encapsulate him, sorry, inculpate, inculpate, what's inculpate mean? Inculpate. Inculpate, accuse or blame. Okay, there we go. This expedient of an inquiry and trial seemed unnecessary. It was evident that any answer would lead to conviction. When asked what he was doing when he was arrested, Pierre replied in a rather tragic manner that he was restoring to its parents a child who had saved, he had saved from the flames. Why had he fought the marauder? Pierre answered that he was protecting a woman, and that to protect a woman who was being insulted was the duty of every man, that they interrupted him, for this was not the, to the point. Why was he in the yard of a burning house where witnesses had seen him? He replied that he had gone out to see what was happening in Moscow. Again they interrupted him. They had not asked where he was going, but why he was found near the fire. Who was he? they asked, repeating their first question, which he had declined to answer. Again he replied that he could not answer it. Put that down. That's bad, very bad, sternly remarked the general with the white moustache and red flushed face. On the fourth day, fires broke out on the Zubovsky rampart. Pierre and thirteen others were moved to the coach house of a merchant's house near the Crimean bridge. On his way through the streets, Pierre felt stifled by the smoke which seemed to hang over the whole city. Fires were visible on all sides. He did not then realise the significance of the burning of Moscow and looked at the fires with horror. He passed four days in the coach house near the Crimean Bridge, and during that time learned from the talk of the French soldiers that all those confined there were waiting a decision which might come any day from the marshal. What marshal this was, Pierre could not learn from the soldiers. Evidently for them, the marshal represented a very high and rather mysterious power. These first days, before the 8th of September, when the prisoners were had up for a second examination, were the hardest of all for Pierre. There we go. Done and done. Thanks for listening to chapter 9, and I will see you tomorrow.